Today's show is brought to you by LaserAway. Adulthood Made Easy listeners can save up to 75% on laser services at LaserAway. Go to laserawaycom AME now to schedule your free consultation. adulthood made easy a podcast from real simple magazine that will not only help you navigate real life but win it real life i'm your host sam zabel one topic we have yet to tackle on this podcast is grief and that's because the name of the show is adulthood made easy and i'm not sure that i could ever find an expert who could suddenly simplify grief and loss and all of those complicated feelings and yet it's often an important part of the other part of the title adulthood You're on your own, handling an overwhelming amount of responsibility, and suddenly something happens. You lose someone, you get hurt, you get terrible, horrible news. What do you do? Like I said, I don't have an answer. What I can offer you today is a perspective from someone who has been there. I'm joined today by Nora McInerney Permort. She's a Minneapolis-based writer and the founder of the nonprofit organization Still Kickin'. She's the widow of Aaron, also known as Spider-Man, the mother of Hashtag Ralphie Grams, and the author of a new memoir, It's Okay to Laugh, Crying is Cool Too. Nora has a pretty intense story, and for someone so long, she has really seen the gamut of grief, loss, cancer, hospitals, bad news, but she also manages to handle it with an incredible amount of humor. But to give you an idea of what it was like for her to make the transition to adulthood very quickly when all of this bad news hit, I'm going to read a quick excerpt from her blog, which she kept starting when she got the news about Aaron's brain tumor. And it goes like this. My mother is excellent in times of tragedy. She doesn't believe in hysteria, and as my body warms up and I start to breathe a little heavier, she stops me short of choking on my own sobs as we pull up in front of the dark doors of the emergency room. Go in there and be a woman, she says. And even though I'm not sure quite how to do that, I open the car door and go. So that's just a little, that's not a piece from her book, that's a piece from her blog, but that's something from Nora. So welcome, Nora. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. And like I said, we have a lot of kind of bummer things to discuss, but we also know that you can discuss all of those things with humor, which is something that I was amazed. Your blog, My Boyfriend's Tumor, I'm laughing while I read it. You're such a oh, joke. My husband's tumor. Oh, okay. my husband's tumor. Sorry. My, my boyfriend's tumor is a totally different blog. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm so sorry. My husband's tumor. And you handle so much of it with humor. And I'm sure you get this a lot, but where does that come from? I mean, is that something that your family's always done? Or is that something that you kind of suddenly just realize that this is how you're going to handle grief and, and things like that? No, I mean, it was, that's just how I was raised. I, you know, my father was uh, also a writer. He was a copywriter and he was very intelligent and clever. And he and Aaron had a lot in common. Like they just were very, very funny. Aaron was more of like a screwball type Mm -hmm. of comedy, but they literally until, you know, the last words they were speaking were funny, Mm -hmm. you know, and like, especially like making fun of me which was like one thing that they had in common. Like they just love to just really rip on me, Um, which I love. That's like my favorite kind of uh, humor really. So, you know, I really, especially, especially with Aaron, like it was, it was very natural. That was just, I got that from him. He never let 
the fact that he had cancer, brain cancer, take away who he was. And who he was was just a really light and happy person, even when everything around him was really dark and heavy. And I have to say that I think one of the reasons that I really related to your book and your blog and just your writing style is because my family deals with grief and and bad things the exact same way. Like you get the bad news and you're shocked for about five minutes and then someone breaks the silence with a joke. That's always how it's been. And that's why I like the title of your book. It's okay to laugh and crying is cool too, but it's, it's, it's okay to laugh, which is something that you don't associate with being really, really sad. And I'm not talking about like you break your leg, like it's okay to laugh. Fine. (laughs) But like when stuff, when shit really hits the fan, it's okay to laugh. Right. When your life completely falls apart, I think that people think, you know, and I think uh, this is sort of tied into like, you know, the hashtag even like my depression looks like mm-hmm. people and like the fact that that was wildly popular is because it it doesn't matter how many people, you know, suffer with depression or how many people go through something hard, which by the way is 100% of us mm-hmm. go right. through something like this. Like Studies show that every person show. on earth goes through something hard. Studies show that 100% of the people you love will die. Right. Um, so you're going to go through this eventually. It doesn't matter like that these these experiences are so common. We still think that there's like a way that it looks and a way to go through it. And there isn't. There is no map for this because it is different for everybody. And it's not as if, you know, your dad and your husband die and you know, you never smile again. I think one of the first things my siblings and I did after my dad died was sit in the living room and watch Step Brothers because my dad <laughs> loved that movie. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's good. It's a good right. movie. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a honestly, I'm like I snubbed by the Oscars. Totally, absolutely. <laughs> so you bring up a good point. Your dad also passed away within months of Aaron passing away. So can for people who haven't read your writing, haven't yet read the book, can you take us through? a brief timeline of... It is brief too. It's very brief. Um, Because you and Aaron met, you were in your 20s, which is a lot of listeners are in their 20s. Yeah. And Um, then kind of to where where we are today. Yeah. So we met uh, when I was 27, I think, and I'd like dated everybody. And (laughs) like, I'm so tired. Like, why doesn't anyone love me? And I was like, sort of like always forcing boys to be my boyfriend, which is looking back, I'm like, what? Why Why at your coolest, smartest like freest, hottest, are you, are you trying to force someone to like you? Because but it's the, in, so, the internet ruined everything. I think God, why. it did. It really <laughs> did. I'm like, no, that's not how it works. And then I met Aaron. He was like, I like you. And I was like, why? Like what's, <laughs> why? What's wrong with you? We dated for a year and it was just magical, like easy, the only easy relationship I'd ever had where it was just like fun. We like each other. We pick each other. Awesome. Everything's yeah. more fun when you're around. And um, one day he had a seizure at work and I met him at the hospital, which is when my mother told me to go in and be a woman. And um, it turned out that day we found out he had a brain tumor. And a few days later, they gave him a brain surgery or I don't know, performed it, hacked his head open and mm-hmm. we're like, it's brain cancer. And a month after that, we got married. And a year after that, we had a baby. And two years after that, he died. And right before he died, my dad died also of cancer, of like the everything. And the week before my dad died, I had a miscarriage of our second baby. So it was, 2014 sucked. It Not was the your worst. year. 
Not my year. <laughs> Not your year. Not my year. Jeez. And that was 31. That was 31 at the time. So, but at the time I was like 31 on the outside mm-hmm. and like 600 on the inside. <laughs> I was just going to say, I mean, I'm thinking here, okay, 27 to meet someone and start making these. And then within a year, start making these big decisions. Like I'm going to marry someone who clearly has, you know, this huge medical future ahead of them. Right. And yeah. I'm like, I'm 24 now. Can I, am I going to be mature enough in three years? Like I still feel kind of the same as I did when I was 16. Oh, so I can't 100%. picture having the maturity to walk into an emergency room and be like, yes, I'm going to marry you. I'm going to have a kid with you, even though I know that this is might be something I have to go at alone. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, also when I, I married Aaron and I was like, dad, I'm only 28. Am I old enough to do this? And mm-hmm. he was like, I had two kids when I was your age. Like, I know it's yes, different now. It is different. I was like, but like, I literally just got a car and it took a lot of help. Like I, yeah. I like, walked in and was like, hi, I'd like a car. How do I do this? Right. Um, <laughs> I'd like a car, please. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's, uh, I would say that it didn't even feel like a choice and I didn't even not- notice it happening. And I do remember walking into that emergency room and one, Aaron and I just thinking like, oh, no big deal. Um, you know, just had a seizure. Can we leave now? Like, why is everyone being so uptight? Right. But laying in that hospital bed with him that first night because they admitted him and talking and him, you know, talking about how like, you know, it, I shouldn't marry him now. Like he was, he was going to have like, you know, probably a brain cancer. I was like, you don't have brain cancer. You have a brain tumor. Those are totally different. Yeah. And there's no way I'm going anywhere. Like I'm going to marry the hell out of you. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're doing, dude. And not knowing, I think it was just like the absolute ignorance of what any of that meant. My parents had always told me not to be so concerned about doing everything the right way at the right time, Mm -hmm. which of course I was like, well, you're dumb. Um, (laughs) Neither of you were straight A students and I am. Um, (laughs) But but they figured it out and they'd always told me that too. Like, hey, when we got married, we were like 24, which is like insane to me. Which is like me right now. Right. Which don't do it, girl. Uh, <laughs> like or come to the test and, and meet everybody who's divorced by 28. Yeah. Um, which I'm losing a lot of, a lot of fans, a lot of fans and friends by saying that, but it's true. <laughs> yeah. You're just a little baby. It's okay. No, um, I feel, trust me, I feel like one. <laughs> when I was 24, I was like, I was not even like, there's no way I was marriage material. I wasn't even like human material. So then what like, cha- so then what changed? How did cuz 4 years is not a long time to go from barely human material to not just marriage material but like marriage material material, primary caregiver material, mother material. Like that is not that is not a lot of time. I feel like it's in all of us, but it's just something that we it, it like is a magical power that like activates when it's actually needed, when like you actually need it when it's necessary for you, like I didn't like have a choice, but to figure it out for the first time in my life. Mm -hmm. Like I knew I wasn't going to not marry Aaron. I knew I wasn't just going to like be his girlfriend and like, you know, not really be able to like have any, you know, real like position in like, you know, when he was going through life and death stuff Mm -hmm. and then I wasn't going to leave him alone and I didn't know how to do any of this stuff. And it really, it still felt like I was like 17, but like a 17 year old who like had to go and like see an oncologist and like pretend to understand what they said, which I think is like, you know, the way it happens for most people is like you don't 
do it until you have to do it. Right. I was going to say, I rem- you, I read uh, about you dealing with like health insurance, which like you said, so many of us are so fortunate to be healthy and, you know, maybe go to the doctor once a year and probably, right. you know, some of us are still on our parents' health insurance. So going to the doctor is still sort of in quotes because we're kind of like, mom, can you make an appointment for me? And, you know, you had to deal with a totally different health world. I mean, what was that like to be to be thrown into all of these like very practical decisions when you're also dealing with a lot of like emotional decisions and things like that? I felt like the administrative aspect of it was the 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 part that I, I could handle the best because mm-hmm. it's like ticking boxes. Mm-hmm. And, and so like, you know, making calls to like insurance and things like that, it's maddening, but it's also like the small amount of of control you're given in a situation like this, which is like, I can try to solve this one problem that has an answer. Right. Um, I can try to get on the phone with the right person. I can try to figure out like, you know, how this works. And the, in some ways, those tasks also made me feel like more adult and like more deeply human. Aaron and I were, he was 30, you know, two when he had a seizure, I was in my twenties and we had to have these conversations with like, you know, an attorney about, you know, end of life care and, you know, our wills, like, um, especially when I was pregnant, like, okay, like what if I die in childbirth, but you're still alive? Like, mm-hmm. what do we, like just all these crazy like scenarios that we had to run through. What if we both die? What do we do? Like who, who takes our child? Who takes, you know, the $9 we have? Like, what do we do with all this stuff? And it really like made me love him like so much deeper knowing that these were things that we were going to figure out together. Um, There's just like something about like just talking about all these crazy messed up things with somebody and like crying about it and like then signing legal documents about it. That's like really incredible. And I'm like, I think that I'd always thought that life was, you know, all the big, shiny, happy things, you know, because Mm -hmm. that's important to you, especially like the age that you're in now and into your twenties, like when your friends start getting engaged and start having these like big weddings and like Pinterest boards and engagement photos, which like, what are those? Like, how is that a thing? Um, I'm like, what? It's just like a weird, such a weird time of your life to document. I don't know. I didn't do any of that stuff that like Aaron and I were engaged for like 10 days and I wore like a red dress I bought online Mm -hmm. to our wedding. And it came the day before. I was like, oh, it zips. <laughs> and um, like I didn't have a ring or anything. And um, Well, because that stuff in the end isn't really what's important. Matter. No, it you doesn't know. matter. But like it's – I thought like that life was like, you know, making sure that I got like, you know, a career in order and like, you know, just all these like – that there were like certain milestones to be like, now you are an adult. You've done it. You've achievement unlocked. Mm-hmm. And it's not. And your life really is all of these – you know, yeah, all the happy things, but it's also, you know, in a way, you know, the way it's, it's almost the more the way that you weather these really deep losses that you're bound to experience. Had you ever dealt with anything like this, like in your childhood, like any similar? No, no. No. (laughs) Like my life was like, you know, by, by any standard problem free, like, was I ugly? for, you know, a good stretch of time. Yes. Like did, did my grandparents die? Yes. But they were old. Like that, it was an okay thing to have happen. It was sad, but also like made sense. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I had an uncle who died tragically when I was young, but I was in middle school and, um, 
that was like kept sort of like removed from me. And it wasn't so much my tragedy as it was like his children's and Mm -hmm. my mother's and my grandmother's. But other than that, you know, and not to minimize like his life was obviously hugely important to our family, but at the same time, it wasn't like that did not affect my day-to-day life the way it did. Like his three children who are now adults, like making their way in the world. Mm -hmm. Like that was like their cross to bear. I had nothing happen to me, but I was such a fearful little creature and such an anxious little creature, always worried about, you know, am I doing it right? Like, am I, am I, am I doing everything right? And even into my twenties, I was like, oh my God, like I just always be looking over at someone else's paper to see like how they were being a grown up. I'm like, oh, well, like, do you think she makes more money than me? Or like, was that a better choice? Like, right. Yeah. And especially with, you know, all the social media, just kind of always looking over your shoulder on your screen. Always. Did you know that the average woman will spend over $10,000 on razors and 72 days shaving in her lifetime? Are you tired of spending all of this time and money on what is also ranked as the most hated beauty ritual? We are too. Good thing our friends at LaserAway have us and our bodies covered. As the nation's top laser hair removal and aesthetic experts, LaserAway offers the most advanced cutting-edge technology to offer dramatic permanent results in just a few treatments. LaserAway's treatments are non-invasive, fast, permanent, and can treat all skin tones, leaving you hair-free, care-free, and ready for that last-minute date or beach getaway. Shave time, not your legs. Get up to 75% off laser services and schedule your free consultation today by going to laserawaycom slash A-M-E. That's laserawaycom slash A-M-E. One thing I feel like is always talked about is when you go through something major like this, whether it's sickness or loss or both in your case, I suppose, people, you know, you really find out who your true friends are, who means the most to you, who can rally around you. What was it like? What did your friends do at the time? Where did they know what to say? Did they not know what to say? I know your book says yeah. on the back, you know, who are, people who aren't, it's for people who are not sure if they're saying or doing the right thing. You're not, but nobody yeah, is. <laughs> you're not and nobody is. And I, I was really mad about that for a while because, you know, these things are hard and not everyone's equipped for it. So you know, grief and loss are really isolating and you just tend, you lose a lot of people. So in a lot of ways, like my experience with Aaron was like the great Gatsby. He was so popular. Like when we met, we would like go out and run into like hundreds of his friends. Honestly, like everyone was like, oh, I know Aaron. I know Aaron. Yeah. And, you know, people crashed our wedding and, you know, his funeral had a thousand people, but in between it was a very small amount of people who showed up for us and showed up for him because I don't know, we're, we just are convinced of what we are capable of, like emotionally or, you know, something I heard a lot is like, well, I just don't want to remember him that way. I'm like, well, he doesn't want to die this way. So like, <laughs> good yeah. for you. Um, it's not really about you right, right now. Um, and so some people disappear and, you know, my, my social circle is very different now than it was, you know, a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. And that's okay. And I've like sort of accepted like there are people who are our friends and we're our friends. And there's some people like who just were people that I knew at one point in time. And that's okay. Like death changes everybody and it changes everything. So it's okay if my life does not and my and my circle and all that stuff doesn't look like exactly the same. You know, yeah, and what and what about your family? Did, were your parents ever 
you know, nervous or were they ever, did they ever kind of try to talk to you before you made all these big decisions or were they just, you know, my parents were so wonderful. And I just remember being like, I'm going to marry Aaron and my mom and dad being like, okay, when? And I was like, well, probably in like, you know, a couple weeks. And my dad was like, okay, just give me a heads up because, you know, I'm going to go to Palm Springs for the winter and, you know, I just want to plan around it. Flights are expensive. Yeah. He was like, you know, so I just got a plan for that. But other than that, no, I just remember telling my mom that and her saying like, well, like, can you have kids? And I was like, I don't know. And her crying about that and saying like, you know, this is really fucked up. This isn't fair. Like you two should have everything. Mm -hmm. And but nobody ever said uh, not to not to do it. And so, so you you guys did have a kid together. Ralph. We did. How old is he now? He is. Um, wow, that's a that's a, <laughs> a real stumper of a question. How old is my only child? You ask. Hmm. Great question. Mm, wonderful. He is three. He turned three in January. I was going to guess three, yeah. but I wanted to yeah. let you get there. <laughs> yeah, he's three-ish. When you're going through kind of processing your own grief, you're young, you're still at that place where you kind of have to figure things out for yourself. What is it like to coach another person, another hum- tiny human being that you're responsible for through what it means to him and kind of help him process this as well? You know, he is... He seems he's adorable, through, first of all. Yeah, he's he's the best. He like he's going through something completely different than I am. Mm-hmm. He was 18 months, or no, he's 22 months, which like when you're 24, you're like, girl, what the fuck does that mean? He mm-hmm. was almost two when Aaron died. Right. And he he was like pretty aware. Like I that day he got into bed with Aaron and you know, he said goodbye to him, which I didn't know Aaron was gonna die that day. And like laid with him, you know, in a hospital bed, a lot of cords, but he's so gentle and like kissed him and then got out of bed and said, goodbye, all done. Wow. Just left the room. And I think like in some ways everybody thinks their child is special, but I really do think like he was born into this weird situation. He knew like he knew that things were not like normal and he's he's just sort of like grown up like a little like in a life that's like a little bit askew and now you know we talk about Aaron every day there are photos of him every day we talk to him at night before we go to sleep we say what we're grateful for we tell papa about our day and for the most part like Ralph is like you know sort of like okay with it but nobody understands death like mm-hmm. I don't I'm like what does happen I don't know and Ralph has told me like you know he's in the trees he's in the air he's here he's you know mm-hmm. and same with my father but every once in a while like yesterday just just funny that you should ask but like he said to me I'm sad that my papa's dead I'm like I know dude I am too but then he'll say something like, I wish he didn't get hit by a car. And I'm like, he didn't. <laughs> wish like, granted. <laughs> yeah. Good news. He didn't get hit by a car. Bad yeah. news. He died of something nobody understands right. uh, that could be in any of us. Is that more comforting, less comforting? <laughs> so I, I feel, uh, God, how do I feel about that? Um, I feel like my job is, you know, not to sort of you know, I don't, people say like, you know, oh, like you're keeping, you have to keep Aaron alive for him. That's not true. There, there is no doing that. Like my job is to make sure that, you know, my son has like a sense of who his father was and what that, and like that, that's a positive presence in his life and that it isn't the shadow of death, 
but it's the light of his memory and the warmth of Aaron that we get to carry with us. And speaking of that, you wrote this really beautiful essay in Slate about not wanting to people not not wanting people to tell you to put your phone away because so many pictures and videos live there. And that's kind of a time capsule for you of Aaron and how you can show pictures of him and and respect his memory with Ralph and things like that. How has technology and social media kind of changed your experience with this loss and with grief, either for better or for worse? Honestly, I think it's a gift to have, to live in an era where things are so documented and where, you know, I can, you know, download my voicemails from Aaron and hear his voice or my dad's. I have one voicemail from my dad and it's him saying like, yeah, I'm uh, calling you back. Like he was just <laughs> so irritated that, like, that his phone had rang. Like he used to like use his cell phone and then turn it off. I'm like, mm-hmm. not how phones work, <laughs> but cool. And, you know, the fact that like, if, if none of you are using Google photo right now, I implore you to do so immediately. It's magical. It's stored all of my photos, all of Aaron's photos. I don't care that they know everything about me, frankly. <laughs> I don't care who they sell this information to. Um, like I get sometimes just delivered to me like these little gifts of, photos of our family. And it's like seeing those Harry Potter frames come to life. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, it's like these, these, these presents that, you know, I can revisit and that my son can have, and they mean different things to us. You know, to me, it's like really, really comforting. And to Ralph, it's more just entertainment. And I think it will grow to mean something to him. Mm -hmm. But, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, people, had their photos and they had letters and they had their memories. And now, you know, we have, we have all of these other things and all these ways to remember people and to like document somebody's life and who they were. And it can be overwhelming. Like, you know, what do I keep? He left like 50 hard drives behind, like what the hell is on these? And like, is it important? But it, you know, it's, I, that, that slate piece I really love. And I think also we tend to think like, oh, if somebody's you know, so absorbed in like their screen, they're doing something, you know, worthless. And, you know, we're not always, I try not to read the comments on things, but somebody left a comment on that story that said, you know, someone admonished him for using his cell phone, you know, at the playground. Cause like, obviously you should just be joyfully watching your child, like swing for 40 minutes. Like, mm-hmm. no, you're allowed to look away. And he'd been texting, you know, his sister about like who was going to bring food to their mother's house because their dad had just died. Like we just don't know what other people are going through and like why like what they're what they're so absorbed in. And it can be, it could be something really meaningful. It could be something really beautiful. Either way, it's really none of your business. Right. Um, and you really have in this book that you've I mean in your blog, yes, but in this this book is talk about documented that there's so much in there about your experiences and your memories and your thoughts. And I mean, was that, when did you start writing it? The book I started writing like two months after Aaron died. And I, that was obviously intentional. It wasn't like, oops, I wrote a book. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I'd met with uh, a few publishers about the book and the question came up in every single one, which is, like, is this a book you should write now? Mm-hmm. And my answer was yes. There are plenty of books that are written 10 years after something happened, you know, with the comfort of that, the distance of that time. 
and that perspective, like, hey, guess what? Like this crazy thing happened to me. You won't believe what I went through, but everything's okay now. And that's that's fine. That's great. But that is not a book I was interested in writing um, or waiting to write. And I wanted to write a book where not everything was fine because being close to something is a perspective too. And there's no avoiding like the chaos and the, you know, the, just the disruption of what like grief and loss and like just general hardship does to your life. And I didn't want to forget that. That's, you know, I wrote the blog because I didn't want to forget those things. I knew they were important. And I think in a way of like making people around us, you know, who really wanted things to like be okay. Is everything okay? Is he done yet? Is he cured yet? Like, what are you talking about? He's had like a brain surgery <laughs> of like acknowledging that something really big and serious and hard was happening and it was happening to people they knew. And it was a part of our story, but it wasn't our whole story. Did Aaron know that you were writing, that or that you wanted to write a book or that you were writing a book? You know, Aaron was like, the only, it's another reason how like I knew like, oh, wow, this I'm like dating an actual human for once. No offense. I've had some lovely boyfriends, but you know, they just weren't fully cooked at yeah. the time. That's, that, I think, that's I think now they grew up to be men, but now at the time they were like just little, not soft, so soft in the middle. Mm-hmm. But Aaron was the first guy I ever dated who, was, who supported my writing and like loved my writing. I was writing for a couple smaller websites when we met and my pieces came out on Tuesdays and he would IM me every Tuesday morning, like, are they up yet? Are they up yet? Are they up yet? And he would actually read them. And so many of them had been written like, you know, weeks before I met him and we're about like dating or we're about dating him. And he loved them. He was so encouraging. And he read every blog post before it went up. And he had always told me to write a book. I don't think this is the book that he was hoping I would write, but it's a book that I wrote. So he'd be, he'd be super proud. I know. And what do you think that your, or what do you hope that your, cause people write about grief and people write memoirs about grief. What do you hope yours offers that especially young people need to take away and need to help them get through something similar? I really want this book to make it easier for us to be okay, not being okay, and to be comfortable just being uncomfortable. I think, you know, my entire life, if anything was hard, I just sort of wanted to close my eyes and get through it. And I would sort of almost like rush other people through their stuff too. You know, I remember the the closest brush I had with anything like this was, you know, maybe six months before Aaron had a seizure, my friend's father suddenly died. And I'd known this man since we were in grade school. This, you know, this friend of mine was my fifth grade boyfriend. We'd known each other for a long time. And his dad died and I went to the funeral and, you know, like I texted him a couple of times after that. And then I never brought it up again. And I just sort of wanted that to be over. I wanted, you know, and I don't even think I knew that. I think I just, when I look at my behavior or like my lack of participation uh, in this life event of his, like I, I just was not giving it any space. And I want this book to make people like a little bit more prepared for their hard thing or the hard thing that their friend or family or like coworker is inevitably going to go through. Like you said before, a hundred, a hundred percent of people will go through hard things. Yeah. And it will, it's always like these stories are always things that happen to other people until they happen to you. Right. And there are always things that you like sort of whisper about at brunch and you're like, oh my God, you would not believe it. Like, and like, yeah, I can believe it. Like mm-hmm. this stuff happens. Like I've gotten emails from women who are like, 
oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I had a miscarriage. My dad died and then my husband died. I'm like, wow. <laughs> yep. Like here we are, all three of us. But but because it does happen. It does happen. All these things like, you know, I'm I'm not special. This is not like a, a special thing that happened. This is a really, really common thing that happened. But you wrote about it in a very special way. And I, I, like I said, the book is called It's Okay to Laugh and Crying is Cool Too. And I wish that I could talk to you for hours because, first of all, you're hilarious, amazingly enough, <laughs> which I really just respect and admire. But, you know, you have so many great experiences. But I won't hope that people will buy the book and they can find, can you let them know? I'm sure they're going to want to read more of your writing. So where can they find you on the on yeah, the internet. Um, Google's a great place to start. I'm a contributing editor at L.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I write for Cosmo.com often. My husband's tumor.com will always be there for anyone who needs it. And you can just follow me on the internet as Nora Borealis. There you go. Yep. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I can't believe you're 24. I God. am 24. Like, honestly, I look back and now I like now I feel bad for my 24-year-old self for like not having a podcast, even though they didn't exist yet. That was Nora McInerney Permort, and you can get her book, It's Okay to Laugh, Crying is Cool Too, wherever books are sold. Thank you so much for joining me today for another episode of Adulthood Made Easy. If you have topics or questions you'd like me to cover in the future, just tweet them to me at Sam Zabel, and I'll add them to my list. I'd like to thank our editor, Tim Einenkel, and our producer, Kristen Meinzer. And if you're enjoying the show, don't forget to review and subscribe in iTunes. I'm Sam Zabel, and I'll see you next time. Bye.